Great. Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful place to be. There's a, a real health here, and I've just been so blessed in the worship, and uh, I hope I don't mess things up now, because I think God's been really at work. But it's, it's lovely to be here. And uh, that prayer really confirmed what I really sense the Lord wants to do this morning. And um, what time do we finish, just to make sure I'm not... Five o'clock? Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll just roll in today, then you'll have a whole day of a life. Um, but the, if you want to turn to John chapter 21, and I want to just uh, look at the restoring grace of God, and then I really sense there's an outpouring of the Spirit that God has begun here this morning that I really feel we can step into after we've, we've looked at the Word together. So if you want to grab, to grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. Um, just as means of introduction as you're doing that, my name is Jonas. Uh, I'm married to Sean. She'd love to have been here today, but we're kind of three weeks away from a, a, a massive Christmas kids and youth production, which we kind of every year think, flip it out, why do we do this? But it's amazing on the day, and then we kind of think, it's a bit like pregnancy, isn't it, and birth, and you kind of forget about the pain and enjoy the moment, and uh, it's, it's a bit like that. We're in the sort of pregnancy moment time now, where it's full on rehearsing, and a couple of things have happened, which has meant Sean's had to step in to carry that, so she'd have loved to have been here. We've got two kids, Josh who's 18 at university, loving it, probably loving it a bit too much, uh, but he's loving it, and he's up in Sheffield, and then Sophie, who's 16, just about to do her mock GCSEs, so that's a bit about us, but you're not here to hear from me, you're here to hear from Jesus, so John chapter 21, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to crack into what I feel the Lord is asking us to look at. Lord, we love you. Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. There's so much health here. There's so many seeds that have been sown over years and years in this place. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. God, we don't want to just hear stuff. We want to hear you. And so, Lord, I just lay at your feet all that I've prepared and ask Holy Spirit, you'd speak. I pray for every heart in this room. We can't fake it with you. You see everything. So I pray for courage to be ourselves with you and let you in. And I pray all of us would walk out of here differently to the way we've walked in because we've met with you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So thank you for the, the introduction, Daryl. It's just an honor to be here. So I've been involved in full-time ministry for 25 years now. And for 10 years, I was in an Anglican church in North London, uh, a great church, uh, Christ Church Cotfosters. And then the last 15 years, uh, a long story, but God spoke to us about moving up north, as it is for me, uh, to Lincoln, and to join Stuart and the team there. And then Stuart, very cheekily, as part of those conversations, said, have you ever thought about pioneering? And so we stepped into a kind of multi-site model without calling it multi-site or even knowing it. And we pioneered a church in a town I'd never heard of called Grantham uh, with just two other couples in a front room and our two kids who are three, uh, just coming up to three and six months old. And uh, Jesus has been wonderful over the last 15 years. We're very grateful to what he's done. But the key of walking with Jesus is to know his restoring grace. And that's what I want us to think about from John 21. We're not going to read the chapter. We're just going to walk through it together. But the glory is this. Every single person in this room, I don't need to know you to know this is true for you. There's a personal invitation of grace from Jesus to you. And the beauty of the gospel, the romance of the gospel, is that there are no dead ends with God. 
There's no sin that's too great that cannot be forgiven. There's no pain too broken that cannot be healed. There's no mistake too big in order to be restored. There's no church too dead that if it goes the right way cannot be renewed. This is the restoring grace of Jesus. And grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. I love that. And I just want us to walk through chapter 21 in John and just see the restoring grace of Jesus and how he takes Peter from a place of brokenness, despair, failure, and restores him to run into all that Jesus has for him. The context of chapter 21 is that I think Peter is in a place of failure, shame, loss, and hopelessness. Just a matter of few, I love Peter. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. He's just so, I can relate to him. He just puts his foot in it all the time, doesn't he? And just a few days before this event, he'd boldly said in, all his, in front of all the disciples, Jesus, I'm never going to give up on you. Jesus said, I'm about to be killed. You're all going to betray me and run away. And Peter went, effectively, well, these guys might. I can understand them because they're a bit down there. I'm up here, Jesus. I'll never, be, never give up on you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, not only will you run away, but you will actually betray me. Three times before the cock crows twice. And Peter was like, no, that will never happen. And Jesus is arrested. Everyone legs it. To be fair to Peter, he hangs around a bit longer. But then around a campfire, just a handful of people, he swears a really strong oath that he never even knew Jesus, let alone followed him. And we read in Mark 14, 72, immediately the cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And I just want to let the reality of that moment just sink into our hearts. This is a real guy with a real Jesus, with a real relationship, with a real moment of perceived failure, letting Jesus down. And he broke and wept. And in chapter 20 in John, Jesus has risen from the grave. There's this incredible moment where, where Mary goes to Jesus and there's these wonderful encounters with the risen Jesus, which I think were filled with joy, hope, excitement. But I want to suggest for Peter, maybe a touch of awkwardness. There's this moment where Mary meets Jesus at the empty tomb, the disciples in the locked room, and then a few days later again in the locked room. And there's so much love, so much joy, so much relief. He is risen. Hallelujah. He's alive. It is real. Sorry, I shout a lot. I'm really sorry. It's quite loud. Um, it, they're thinking, this is true. The Jesus we've lived with, we can run with now. It's all that he has for us. And I want to suggest in the midst of all the joy... Peter was, I think, continually played by a sense of guilt and shame. A sense of being so full of himself, he was going to do this for Jesus. And yet he let him down. And then as we come into chapter 21, I think Peter was so close to completely giving up and feeling there was no way back. And so now we're in chapter 21. And so have it open in front of you. You can walk through the chapter as we refer to this. And we just read in verses 2 and 3, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. 
And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will all go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but I just like to ask questions about the Bible and just get into the text. And I just think, what on earth was making Peter want to go fishing at this time? It could have been simply they needed money in order to live. Some commentators argue just wanted to get out of the way. <laughs> I think it was because at this point of time, he was so disillusioned with where he was at with Jesus, he was reverting to what he used to do. He was a fisherman before Jesus called him and walked with him. In this moment, I think Peter is so disillusioned, so disappointed, feeling so disconnected from Jesus, he just didn't know what else to do. He's up there all night fishing, and he didn't catch a flipping fish. Can you imagine what he must have felt? I'm a rubbish disciple, and now I'm a rubbish fisherman. At least I used to be good at fishing, and I've caught nothing. And I think at the end of verse 3, I think this is where Peter's at. He's feeling he's blown it all. Everyone knew about it. How would that make you feel? Everyone knows how you've messed up in your walk with Jesus. He feels a million miles away. Surely it could never be the same again. Surely it is too far for him to get back to where he longed to be. Have you ever been in that place where you just long to be able to turn back the clock? So here's Peter, here's the context. He's overwhelmed with disappointment and I think feeling totally disconnected and distant from Jesus. And the reality is, friends, if you walk with Jesus, there'll be times where you feel like this too. You don't wake up every day and it's like having breakfast with Jesus face to face. He's always there, but we don't necessarily always feel the reality that he's there. And there are many reasons for feeling detached or dis disconnected. Sometimes it is because, like Peter, we're just living a life of habitual sin. And that intimacy with the Holy Spirit isn't there as it used to be because we need to sort that out. But I think it isn't just sin. It's also maybe sometimes we're just in the busyness of life. We've just got into the busyness of doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff that we've lost sight of the God that we're doing it for. And other times, it's just the weariness of doing good, as Paul says to the Galatians. And there's a sense that all of us at times in our walk with Jesus may well find ourselves at this point where we're feeling disappointed with ourselves, disconnected and distant. And then we see in John 21, and we're just going to see a number of things that Jesus does. And I love this. This is my Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible where he draws near to this broken, disappointed man and restores him by grace. And Peter runs and changes the world for Jesus. And could it be there's someone in this room, and if you're honest, that is exactly where you find yourself today. You've done all that you could, and you're just burnt out, and you're feeling disconnected. You've maybe messed up big time, and everyone knows about it, and you're thinking, how on earth can I get back there when I'm finding myself here, wherever you're at, maybe you're running with Jesus. And you're thinking, now this is not where I'm at. Well, guys, learn this because the day will come when you will be here. Because none of us are perfect this side of glory. And when we find ourselves there, this is where we need to come back to John 21. You guys still with me? Yeah. Great. So we're just going to look at five or six things that Jesus does very briefly. And then we're going to see 
and just see what the Lord wants to do. The first thing Jesus does as he restores Peter is that he reminds, verses 4 to 8, he restores Peter by reminding him of past experiences of grace. I love this. Jesus brings Peter back to where it all started. He reminds him of his calling. And so we walk through the chapter, we see suddenly as the day breaks in, they see someone on the shore who says to them, children, have you caught any fish? Can you imagine how irritating this must have been for Peter? He's meant to be a fisherman. He's caught no fish. And now a complete stranger comes on the beach, a seemingly complete stranger, and says to him, Peter, have you caught any fish? Can you imagine how irritated you might have felt? And I think he's so exhausted, he's just like, oh, I can't respond to that. And then even more so, this complete stranger says to him, Peter, have you tried the other side of the boat? I mean, it's just annoying. I'm annoyed for Peter for that. He's tired, he's broken, and then this so, sort of know-it-all stranger saying, oh, how's it going? It's going terrible. Or have you tried the, the obvious side of doing the other way? No, I hadn't thought of that. I've only been here all night. And yet Peter is so tired. He does what the stranger says. And then he begins to pull the net in. And I think as he's pulling the net in, he's suddenly aware of the huge catch of fish that is in the net. And as he's bringing it in, I think as he's feeling the pull of the fish, something begins to trigger in his mind and in his heart. You see, three years before that, in Luke 5, in the exact lake, Jesus called Peter. And exactly the same thing happened. Jesus asked Peter to use his boat as a pulpit, and he preached from it. And he said to Peter, well, you know, maybe you need to... uh, He says to Peter, exactly the same thing. Put your net on the other side of the boat and catch fish. And the catch is so massive that the boats begin to sink as they're pulling it in. And they begin to join together to pull this catch of fish in. And Peter is so aware of the holiness of Jesus in this moment that we read in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And I think as he's pulling this net in, there's a stirring of grace in his heart as Jesus reminds him of when he was first called. Jesus restores Peter by reminding him when he first called him by name, like we heard in the prayer, that first time he fell in love with Jesus. Suddenly into the brokenness and the darkness and was the hope of grace. And I think, friends, we must never, ever, ever walk away from the cross. We must never lose the wonder of the cross, surveying the cross. Don't ever think you're too mature, too clever, too big a Christian to come before the cross and say, God, without your grace, I am nothing. It is all because of your blood. It is all because of what you have done. I don't have to impress you with what I try and do for you. There's only one impressive person, and his name is Jesus. And I cling to him. And he restores us by bringing us back to the start. He restores us by reminding us of the passion we first had when we fell in love with him. He restores us by past experiences of grace and suddenly into the disappointment, the disillusionment, the perceived failure comes the green shoots of hope and grace. The second thing he does is that he renews. 
We see Jesus restores Peter by renewing him physically and spiritually. I just love Jesus so much. They, they come to Jesus, and the first thing he does is serve them breakfast. <laughs> he knows they're hungry. He knows they're tired and exhausted. And he makes a fire, and he cooks the fish that they've caught. He restores Peter by beginning to restore, renew him physically. And then he restores Peter by renewing him spiritually. He brings Peter back to the most important question of all. Do you love me more than these? And again, commentators debate what the word these refer to. Some people argue it refers to the disciples, but I'm personally not convinced by that because that's kind of breeding competition, isn't it? Peter, are you better than these? (laughs) I think Jesus is referring to the catch of fish. And he's saying, Peter, this fish that you just caught through a miracle, do you love me more than the miracle? Peter, this fish that could give you financial security, do you love me more than the security you could get from money? Peter, these fish that could give you a wonderful career, do you love me more than your career? He's bringing him back and saying, Peter, am I number one in your life? Do you love me more than these? And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? He's bringing him back to the heart of worship. This is what it means to be a Christian. It just simply means to love Jesus and to love him and to live for him and to adore him and to run with him. And the place of restoration is always coming back and making it all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. I'm sorry to be rude. It's about him first and foremost. He is magnificent. He is majestic. He is glorious. He didn't have to do anything for you, and he would still be perfectly loving and righteous and gracious. He owes you nothing. You're not a victim, and yet in grace, he offers you everything. And it's the majesty and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus himself that brings us back and says, Lord, I am nothing compared to you, and I love you, Jesus, and yet you love me. And he just brings him back to this place of love. And so I want to ask you, do you really love Jesus? Do you know him? A.W. Tozer once said, many Christians worship a God they barely know. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. Do you know the God of the Bible? Sorry, I do kind of care because it's good things to know the Bible. But I want to ask, how's your relationship with Jesus? Not what you do for him. When was the last time you just sat in his presence and just, just wept because he died for you and he hasn't given up on you and he's faithful to you? And even in the mystery of the brokenness and the pain and the frustration and the battle, he still stands. That even in the unanswered, seemingly unanswered prayer and the questioning and the wise, he is God. And a day is coming when you will stand face to face with him. He brings him back to the love place with Jesus. Third thing, I'm going to keep going because I'm waffling a bit. Not waffling, but going off piste a bit. Number three, he recommissions. He just brings him back to the call of God over his life. He restores Peter by bringing him back to the reality that he's called to be a pastor and a teacher. Peter, feed my sheep. He brings him back to the reality that God's heart for his life was to be a leader in the local church and for his church. 
And all of us, I believe, have got a call of God. We've got a general call. Go and make disciples and make disciples. Every Christian is called to do that. Not just leaders or life group leaders. Every single Christian is going to be given an answer before Jesus or how we made disciples. We made disciples. Anyway, I'll leave that one there. But he brings him back to this call over his life and says, Peter, it still stands. You haven't lost it. And there's people in this room, I just sense there's people in this room, God spoke to you years ago. And you're wondering whether it still stands. You're wondering whether this is still something you can walk into. Maybe as a church, you've had words over this church that you're yet to walk into. And I just feel the Holy Spirit may be saying to us, it still stands. It still stands. There's grace for you. There's a way forward for you. There's a renewing work of the Holy Spirit for you. He recommissions. Fourth, he repairs. He restores Peter by repairing his broken heart and dealing with areas of weakness in his life. You see, Jesus doesn't ignore what, Jesus, uh, what Peter did. He doesn't pretend sin doesn't matter. We don't play games with God. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet and just say, well, it's all grace, isn't it? So just do what you want. <laughs> no, he loves us too much for that. He loves you so much just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. And he takes Peter on this journey where he speaks in, where I would see it is Peter's moment of weakness, his area where he needs grace. Three times he says to him, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter had denied him. He's speaking straight in to moment of weakness, to the point where Peter knew he was, which is why in verse 17 we see Peter is grieved. There's a sense of, oh, Lord, you're, you're touching that part of my life that I know I'm struggling to honor you with. I've been there so many times. Maybe you have too. And Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to be released from that. And the thing with Peter, I think, is that he lived more for the applauses, uh, the praises of man than the applause of heaven. He was so intimidated by just a little group around a campfire, he denied even knowing Jesus. And Peter sta uh, Jesus restores his broken heart. He says to him, he's prophesies over him, Peter, you're going to be so on power for me, empowered by me that you're going to refuse to give up on me, even to the point where you're going to die. He speaks a word over Peter's life. And history tells us Peter was crucified for his faith upside down because he refused to be killed the same way as Jesus. He didn't give up. We're going to come back to that in one moment because I want to pray into that. But I want you to see there is this moment of weakness in Peter's life that Jesus wanted to repair. And it was still there because Peter in this moment sees John. <laughs> and he goes, well, what about him? <laughs> Have you ever been there? Stop comparing yourself to other people. Just be so free to be you in Jesus. You, you, you just, we've got to be free to be walking with him in the light that he's given us and the path that he set before us. And Peter needed repairing. Fifth thing, Jesus refocused. He restores Peter by refocusing him on him. I love it, verse 19 and 22. Peter, now come and follow me. He just says, Peter, this isn't therapy. This isn't a manual. It's a relationship. 
follow me, Peter. Don't follow a mission. Don't follow a strategy. Don't follow rules and regulations. Begin by following me. And this can so easily creep into our walk with Jesus. We begin to follow the pattern rather than the saviour. We follow the ritual and the habit rather than the holy God. And God may be speaking to you and he's saying, come back. Make it about me again. Follow me. And then six, is this okay? okay, Just one more minute. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, which has just made a note of it before. Because there's a sixth R that I will now use in every time I use this to preach. Because 40 days after this, Jesus resourced. In Acts 1 and 2, he said, Peter, you can never do this in your own strength. But in my power, you'll be my witness. And I really feel the tug of God in this place. Where you can hear something like this and we're like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really up for this. But then we're like, wow, how on earth can I do this? And the reality is we can't. Get over yourself. We can't, but he can in us. And that's why it's grace. It's far more than just being forgiven. It's about sustaining us, being held in the palm of his hand, being empowered to keep going. And this guy, Peter, who seemingly failed, you know what I mean by failed, he let Jesus down, was suddenly one of the forefront runners in the early church, led thousands to Jesus. I wonder if any moment the devil said to him, you can't do this. Remember that little group that you messed, up out, messed around in? How can you do this? And I think Jesus, uh, Peter would come back to that beach. So no, this is where Jesus met me. And then he came back to the Pentecost, said that's where Jesus empowered me. And he kept going. And there's people in this room I feel you're either bored in your faith or apathetic in your faith. You're lethargic in your faith and you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's not a criticism. All of us can get there. Maybe you're here and you've just got habitual sin in your life. You need to know God loves you so much. He's not here to rub your nose in it. He's here to forgive and empower you to run away and run with and run for him. His grace is sufficient. For you. And maybe there's just people here, you're burnt out, you're tired, you're weary, you're anxious with all that life's throwing at you, and you know you need the restoring grace of Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I pray now, all over this room, come. Come, Lord, just rise up in people. Rise up in people. Rise up in people. Rise up in people, Jesus. Set us free from nostalgia. We honour the past. We really do. But we want a present and a future as well. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit of God. And if any of what I've been saying has resonated in your heart at all, then maybe just stand where you are and I'd love to pray for you. If there's a sense where God has been saying, yeah, this is your moment. If you want empowering, if you want a repairing or renewing, whatever it is, 
then just stand. And I'd love to pray. We're not going to embarrass you. Well done. Well done. Come, holy God. Well done. Well done. And in the security and the safety of this place, this is a family of grace. This is a place to be very real with Jesus. Without any fear of rejection. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now, those of us who are seated, if you obviously are doing well, just pray for the people standing. And I pray, Lord God, fall now. By your Spirit, Lord, just rise up in these people. More of you, less of us. More of you, less of us. More of you, less of us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait upon you. Let's just wait upon him. He may feel nothing. That doesn't mean he's not doing anything. Just be very secure in him. We love you, Jesus. You're the church builder, not us. We love you, Lord. I want to pray specifically for people. This is something I struggle with. It's just an insecurity with other people's opinions of you. I want to pray a releasing from that now in the name of Jesus. Be released and hear the Father's love for you. He loves you. He died for you. He is with you. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. You're here whether we ask you to come, but we're just asking you to just affirm in our hearts, witness to our spirits that we are children of the King. Shed abroad the love of God in our hearts by your spirit now, Lord. Come, Lord, restore, restore, restore. Well, the Lord is saying, I'm here. Don't fear. Open up. Come, Holy God. Come, Holy God. Come, Holy God. Come, Holy God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just begin, continue, just engage with him. I'm not going to rush this. Please, if you feel nothing, don't feel that God isn't here, he doesn't love you, he's for you, he's with you. This is just in this, this moment, this beautiful moment, a tender moment where God is ministering to hearts all over this room. That word of looking up, that word of his love for you, your name is written on his heart, that word of detail, into our lives just 
I'd love just to pray just for two groups of people and then I'll hand over back to Daryl. But um, one person is, and this, is, this takes courage to admit this, and I've had to do this in my life. Um, maybe there's stuff you've done in your past that you feel has disqualified you for your future. And, and you know God's forgiven you, but you just know there's a sense that it's feeling like it's a weight that's slowing you down and you feel unable to push on. Maybe you've got not yet Christian mates who always remind you of it. And I'd love to pray for anyone who's in that place. Um, it, does that relate to anyone in this room? If there's anyone here in that place, just put your hand in the air and I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. I pray. I pray take up the yoke of Christ. For his burden is easy and it's light. And it's grace drenched for you. And I pray a breaking off of you now of the weights of forgiven sin. The weights that you're carrying that the Lord is not wanting you to carry. I pray off you shame. I pray off you guilt. There is truly no condemnation to you. You are totally, completely, eternally forgiven. And we break those chains in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the second group I'd just love to pray for is, you felt the call of God once. He asked you to do something once. You knew that was true. And maybe you stepped into it and it went pear-shaped. Or maybe you've never stepped into it at all. And you're just feeling, how can I even begin to step back in that direction? I'd love to pray for anyone in this room who's in that place. And if that's anyone, just put your hand in the air and I'd love to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord. All over this room, these dear people. And I pray in the name of Jesus now for a renewing, for a recommissioning. Just for the grace of the risen Jesus to draw near to you. And whatever that calling is, Lord, we pray that you would reaffirm it. That you would declare, feed my sheep, as it were, that you did with Peter. There'd be a moment here of picking up the baton again. The confidence of grace. The hope of grace. And I pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall afresh upon you. And that you'd run in all the grace that is in you through him. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty, glorious, saving name. We love you so much, Jesus. I can't believe you put up with me. You're so faithful. You're so kind. You're so compassionate. You're so powerful. You're so holy. You're the perfect heart surgeon. You're the beautiful saviour. And I pray the seal of the Holy Spirit on all that you've said today. I plead with you, God, that when the feelings go, the truth remains. I pray this week for those that have felt the tug of your love and grace, that they'd not lose that sense that it is you, even when they don't feel it, perhaps. And now I pray in the name of Jesus, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be resourced to run into all that he's asking you to run into. 
be filled with the power of heaven and the resources of heaven. And every spiritual blessing is yours, as Peter himself tells us, through Christ. And I pray these things for your name's sake and your name renowned, Jesus. Amen.